you might have. I don't know if you if you did or not. I'm not a walking dictionary, but that's, it was smooth though. If it, it is a word, did, it was very it really smooth, well. and yeah. you just ruined it for me. <laughs> And welcome back to another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal here to suck a little less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And my name is Frank Cole. And it is June 17th, 2022. This is episode number 71. Yeah, we're getting up there. We really are climbing. I like it. We're going. I like it a lot. Um, so I've had a, uh, in my new job, I've, I have taken over a... Um, uh, a dev team uh, directly. In my, in my last job, I was doing consulting work, so it was a little more, you know, indirect. Uh, the current gig has me working on a specific project with a specific team day to day, which is kind of a refreshing change. One where, of the things when where where are they? So I can send a condolence letter. They <laughs> uh, they are. It's it's an outsourced team right now out of India. But I will say. Uh, having done my fair share of outsourced work over the years, I really like this team. I'm very, very impressed with them. Um, I am able because of their, um, because they're so good at what they do, I'm able to treat them more like FTEs, onshore FTEs than I have had, mm. than I've been able to. Cause you, you know, when you're dealing yeah. with offshore teams, outsourced teams, a lot of times it's, you got to. You, it's, it's variable. All, it's, it's super it's variable. variable. But it, I mean, on the weaker side, you end up doing very color by numbers. Okay, I want you to do this step. Now I want you to do this. Now I want you to do this. And you talk very tactically about like the very specific things that you want them to do. And I haven't. Well, had it's to, the economics of the thing, right? I mean, that well, that sure. kind of thing happens. It's it winds up being a race to the bottom, and so you don't get good quality. And mm -hmm. and so then, but if yeah. you have a strong partner, and I'm and I'm I'm blessed on on my side. I have I've I have a pretty strong partner. Um, in India as well. And it's, you can get a little away from that kind of color by numbers, like, oh, let's talk a little strategically. Like, let's, let's mm -hmm. give you an outcome rather than a task, you know, that exactly you can start to make that shift. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So that, that has been good. So the team itself is very, is very talented and very self-motivated and self-driven. And so I haven't needed to get that. I haven't had to put on the, you haven't needed to hat. do your job yet. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> so instead the conversations have been a lot more hot when I have, they fill me and we do a daily call. Um, I am not hands-on. I'm not doing any direct mm -hmm. uh, involvement. So mine is strictly oversight, review, and approval. And I, a lot of my input to the team is strategic about where we want to, to go. And I describe what the project, product should look like. And, you know, here's where we're at today. Here's where we need to be. Here are the weaknesses mm -hmm. I spot. And I can talk even in higher level terms about things that we're not doing. For example, Earlier this week, I had the conversation with them describing the difference of pets versus cattle and how right. we, why, what that is. None of them had had heard of it. So I got to explain why that, what it is, why it's important, what you get out of it and how I want them to make that thought process part of their day to day. So it's not a case of me telling you, okay, here is a pets versus cattle task. It's you're already in the middle of things. I want that to be in the back of your mind and when opportunity presents itself to apply that kind of thinking, go ahead and do it. You don't need my permission to to do it. Just just right. do it. Um, so that's been really fun and and uh, and refreshing. Um, but one thing that I think is universal, I think, with most engineers, I think you and I are the weirdos on this one, and that's why I wanted to talk about it today, um, is the interplay between 
engineers and any kind of UI user interface or UX user experience design. Oh boy, you're opening that can. Of I worms. just oh, dude, dude, it's a Friday afternoon. I don't want to go here. I don't have the. I don't have it in me, man. I just don't have it in me. I just can't do it, Captain. Oh my gosh. So it seems let's to be- let's reschedule. Let's no. Let's fourth wall break here. Let's let's reschedule for Friday. Have a a nice easy afternoon, and then you want to go into this topic. I've been set up. Sold this, a bill of goods. This I, came, I protest, good sir. This came, <laughs> this came up in my calls just in the last two days uh, because we have a feature that we're working on, and it has mm-hmm. a um, it's a user centric feature. Okay, so I don't know if my team is listening to this right now. So uh, if you are, I, I I'm actually very happy with where they're going and what they're doing. And so I'm using this as an example of, you know, I love you guys. You know, you're doing great. Keep up the good work. Um, this is not unique to us and our project and our situation. This is, this is a, as you suggested, Chris, this is pretty common, pretty it's common a whole ball stuff. of wax yeah, over it's here. A, it's Come a pretty on, common man. thing, no matter where you go. So we have this feature that we are working on and we, uh, have a, um, it's a it's a user centric feature. It's an end user feature, and we have configuration options for it. Uh, the configuration options in this case, um, I learned. Um, to, I can already smell where this is going. <laughs> so I made I did not realize that my mistake in in going in setting up the expectations. We already had an, a configuration panel, but it was an admin facing panel. This right. that we're building is a user-facing option, and it's the first big user-facing option that we have. Up until this point, the users really haven't had a chance to configure anything. Gotcha. They just install it. That's it. There's no options. And well, you don't f- want to give them options. You can't trust them you with do, options. You can't <laughs> trust users with options, right? So you know, this is our first option, and so this is breaking new ground for us. And I made the mistake of um, not being super explicit that the admin side configuration that's not good enough. Like if this is a user facing. Right. Solution. So yeah, we actually have to put higher. this in front of the user, not in front of the admin. So that was the first thing. Uh, then when we looked at the options, the way that they were configured, we had it set up logically uh, in the back end as um, two binary fields. We have three options and the way that they are stored in the database is as two binary fields. One of them says on or off, and then the other one actually defines option, you know, uh, approach A or approach B. Okay. Right. So you could make an argument that instead of it being two, you know, two Booleans, you could, you know, make it into like a set or something like that. But, you know, this, it, this works. It, it's fine. So we've got, so we've got these two Booleans that sort of reflect it. Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. how, how did my engineers, I'll give you a chance. How do you think they presented configuring this option in the configuration panel. How do you think they set that up? Knowing uh, what I just off, told you. I'm, I'm guessing on and off is a, a toggle, uh-huh. right? Like a, like a toggle. Yeah. And then option A or B, like I wouldn't be surprised if that was also a toggle. Correct. Yes. So the, yeah. so what we had so here it was- obviously, it obviously should be a radio group, right? But, but I, but because the first one is a toggle and because it's a, or like, I can see how that link. So the that first one is gap. a toggle. So it's a checkbox on or off. The second one is a checkbox. toggle. So it was another checkbox, a checkbox. on or off. Yeah. So you have mm-hmm. one option, one 
thing that we are setting up, one conceptual thing that we're setting up, but we're right. presenting it as two checkbox options, which yeah. to a developer makes all the sense in the world. I have this Boolean, I'm turning it on and off. I have this other Boolean, I'm turning it on or off. And that's it makes it. total sense. But right. that's not what a user sees. The user sees, yeah. I have this one thing that I am managing and I have, in my, to me as a user, I have three options. I have off, option A, Option or B. option B. That's right. it. That is what they Those see. Are, and yet yeah. that's not what the engineers saw. And they had to set up as checkboxes. And so we had yeah. to rejigger it. It's now no longer a sequence of checkboxes. It's a drop down. It could have been radio buttons, but you know, drop down but in yeah, this it's, case. It's, whatever. it's pick one of pick one of three rather than two discrete, which which is what the user cares about, right? Right. But exactly. That's but the, yeah. So, yeah. So it's it, this and, is let, and it would be bonus points if one of the hover tooltips was like enable system.net.htt, you know. <laughs> we did, um, uh, I did after we, so so I said, no, let's make this a drop down. Let's change the options. And then we had, uh, it became that, so good. And then I was looking, the next step was actually looking at the text in the dropdown of what it says yeah, and what how you it describes present. it. And we yeah. went with, we went with very short terse, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, yeah. it was, you know, widget, big widget, you know, like we didn't, we didn't have mm -hmm. any descriptor to it at all. And so I actually then rejiggered the copy a little bit to make it more descriptive so that the user didn't ask, what, what does that mean? What does it mean? Big versus little. I don't understand, you know, answering that question for them so that it's so that yeah. it was evident what they were actually choosing. Um, and again, so, so this, this, this exercise just led me back to how we as engineers uh, as a group tend not to be on very strong on, on UI UX yeah. just because our minds uh, I, I, Chalk it's it the curse of knowledge. It's to the some curse degree. of it really knowledge. Is. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, so curse of knowledge, meaning you can't unknow all the things that you know. And so it's impossible for you as an engineer, knowing all the deep backend stuff that you know, to really truly put yourself in the shoes of an end user um, because you, you simply don't have that experience. And so what you end up having to do and what I have done, and I think you've done the same thing uh, over the course of my career is through a lot of trial and error and through a lot of direct feedback from customers, sometimes, you know, angry, annoyed feedback from customers figured out ways to translate my engineering stuffs into human end user stuff and understand the the general thought patterns and approaches and objectives and you know the the persona like I I've basically had to reconstruct a, a big portion of I would actually say that a big portion of my career success has been putting this this end user persona together and then utilizing it anytime I'm dealing with end user stuff because you want to present things in a way that is uh, it makes sense to them is attractive to them and things like that. Um, and it, it, to this day, well, you also, you have to, I mean, but it's not, I, I don't even know if it's, I think it's, I think it's less forgivable than you make it sound because ultimately the way you solve problems is with the goal in mind, right? You right. have an objective to achieve. There's something that you need to do accomplish. Okay. And with software, what is like software, the interface 
for the business is ultimately the software. That's okay. what it is. Yeah. Right? Okay. It's a nice perk. And we know that the interface is, you know, a part of it. And then every little button you get to click in the interface is like six months worth of coding and system engineering <laughs> on the back end. Right. That's fine. Oh, no, it's just a checkbox. But ultimately, but ultimately the product is the interface to yeah. some degree. Like with a, with a product like yours, like not all of mine are that way. Some are. Some are. Um, yeah. And so I think it's, I, I, I'm a little less forgiving. I, nah. I'm more empathetic, I think, than an average person in how developers fall down this pit. I'm a little less forgiving of it because, like, at the end of the day, you're developing towards, you know, let's say you have, let's say you have two teams. You have, like, a front-end team and a back-end team, right? What are they working towards? The spec, like, the contract, the API. And so both parties have to keep in mind what they're working toward at all times. And if they lose sight of that, things break and things don't go well. When you're a developer, like in, in your case here, where you've, you're serving up user interface, the thing that you're working toward is the user experience. And to lose sight of that, like, it is so, so, so easy. But it's also, like, not acceptable. Because you can spend a ton of work building something that doesn't make the mark. You know, and it it, it sucks when that happens. Like, I've seen that happen. It's really sad. Um, but unfortunately... Uh, you know, it does happen sometimes. Right. All right. So I am, I am both empathetic and forgiving of, of, of engineers for this problem. I mean, I, I, I get it. It's, it's fine. It, it happens. It's a, it's a reality. It's just sad to see it happen when it happens. And, you know, I, I, it, it's a problem that um, the, it's, a, it's such an endemic weakness that I turned it into a personal strength and I have seen a lot of success a lot over of my career yeah. just from the fact that I could do this thing that the vast majority of people couldn't. And so that makes it valuable. And so I thought it would be a good topic to talk about today. Not not to lament that it happens because, ah, engineers and they're crappy. UI. That's not right. the point here. That's not the point. The point is we know that it happens. I think all of us are at least aware of it at some level. And so I wanted to have a conversation that was actually more positive and uplifting and constructive. Namely, how do you get around this? Because I think you and I, from our from our experience, are actually pretty well positioned to talk about this because this is a big part of all the systems that I have built. They have all had a huge front-end component that that tied into uh, a non-technical, I, I have not built a product yet that was a technical product for a technical audience. They have always been, like yeah. I built crap, I built stuff for teachers, okay? I love teachers, okay? I love me some teachers. But when it comes to a collectively non-technical group of people, holy right. crap, holy crap, yeah. teachers. <laughs> like they're not yeah. technical at all. Uh, I know that we, you know, we have evolved, but you know, when we were kids, it was, you know, Getting the I don't know. VCR I may, to I, work I, in the school was I, a challenge. Uh, I don't want to get into one-upsmanship, but we have systems that we build for seniors. Oh, I'm just gonna, there you I'm go. just going to let that one hang there. Okay. But uh, okay. one of the things. So, so how do we fit? Like, we can have fun admiring the problem, you know, right? And we can, which we've done a little bit of. But I want it to be more constructive I think, today. I think for me, one of the things you do about it is part. This is not the whole story, okay. but. There is part of this overall dynamic that is just an innate bias 
And as with mm-hmm. other biases, the way the way past it is through it, right? You've got to recognize, recognize that you have it. a bias, work on identification and remediation, right? Um, so what is the bias here? Well, I just said it a few minutes ago. I don't know if anybody caught it. The UI is often the little tip of the iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. It's this thing that takes 10% of the budget, but it's uh, all of the complexity is underneath, right? The software that we're building underneath is the part that that you really have to spend time on. It's the interesting engineering work in a lot of kids. There are people doing awesome, like front end only stuff. I'm not meaning to denigrate them, but in a, in like a like a B2B or B2C corporate environment, you're building right. stuff that oftentimes the interface is just that. And then there's a system behind it that really drives the business value. Yeah. The bias is, well, you know, nine out of 10 lines of code is back end. And so the front end, like it, it's deprioritized in your mind because yeah. like, oh, that's the easy part. Like getting the thing working, doing the thing, making the widgets, that's the hard part. That's what's going to get my focus. That's what's going to get my mm-hmm. creative problem solving juices flowing. Um, and then, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make an interface for it later. And I think to me at least, and maybe this is, this is just my personal bias showing through that I think is part of the dynamic because it's like, oh, the interface, we do a lot of systems that are like heavy data processing and they have mm-hmm. interfaces for, you know, configuration and reporting, but like the backend code is doing the real work. And that's where we spend most of our time in implementing features and fighting bugs and doing all this kind of stuff. And so I think there's just like an attention share that skews okay. the amount of energy you give the UI, you know, am I making sense? No, you're making total sense. So we're calling out what you're doing right now is you're calling out, okay, here are, here are causes, here, here are potential causes. So if you're aware of these potential causes, here's what to keep an eye out for yeah. for yourself in, in as you're, as you're doing your day to day. And so that's good. I, th- I think that that's, that's good. And so the, the ratio of how much time you spend on the front end versus the back end, uh, I think is a big, I think you're right. That, that could be part of it. The other part of it that factors in for me, I'm not disagreeing, but the first thing that jumps to my mind is how is the- I'm not disagreeing, but let me tell you how you're wrong. <laughs> but let me tell you everything that's <laughs> wrong with you. So <laughs> the um, the thing that jumps out at me is the correlation that, this goes back to cursive knowledge, the correlation we have, like our double checkbox thing here, of the front end mimicking or being a window into the back end. It's simply- we we try and make the it, it's actually well intentioned inverted by most it's inverted but the, it's well intentioned by most engineers. I have these in in my in my case that I'm talking about here. I have these two options. They are checkboxes. It's on off. I will present mm-hmm. them as checkboxes. Those options are now presented to the user. Good to go. This is super simple yeah. and straightforward. And you know what could possibly be easier. And while that is well intentioned, it the what you are doing actually highlights the problem. You are making a clear window into the inner workings of the thing that you're building. And I, as a user, don't need or really even want that view of inner workings. And here's a perfect example. Take it, take it away from code. Okay. Your car. All right. You've got a car. It is a big, complex machine. It has uh, a lot of mechanical components. It has a lot of electronic components. There's a ton of stuff that goes into a car. But when I well, you look- You got two at- pedals and a wheel. But when I look at, well, there's that, there's that, there's, so I was actually thinking two things about this. So there's, when I look at my car though, what do you, you don't see any of that stuff, or at least you don't, they hide as much of it inside the body of the vehicle as you possibly can. The only things you see are the wheels 
you know, practically speaking, everything else is visual aesthetic to make it look pleasing, to make all that guts kind of go away. And so if you, if you apply that same kind of thinking from a car to your, to your application, you don't want to expose the guts to your users. You don't want them to see the complexity. You want this to be sleek and streamlined when they, when they look at it. And that extends into the interactions with the vehicle. There are, like you said, there's a ton of tons of stuff, but your primary input is the steering wheel and two pedals. That's it. I, you take all this complexity and it is boiled down to to three input devices. So three and, things, like your three states of off A or B, go. right? There's some, yeah, there's some- You uh, got there. Yeah, yeah I actually yeah. thought you were going to go somewhere else with that analogy, but but it's also inverted, right? So if I think about the interface as a window into the system, you're absolutely right. You're going to fall down the pit of complexity with the interface, and you're going to mm-hmm. confuse people, right? Really, and again, what's your goal? The, the, the interface shouldn't be a window to the system, the system should support the interface. Correct. So there's an argument to be made where you start talking about project initiation. You get into user stories and mock-ups. There's a reason you do that work first. You want to know what you're targeting. You want to know what you're aiming at when you're building this system because you've got your data definitions and your specs and your rules and you know, compliance. Or you got all these things you got to worry about. But thinking that your UI is a window into the into the system rather than the systems there to make the UI work. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a, it's, it's an inverted way of thinking. And I think it's, and it's easy to fall into that, right? Oh, we got two, two bits. We're going to give you two checkboxes, right? That, that makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. except that it doesn't, you know, except that it doesn't. Right. And so you actually want to take that complexity and boil it down. And you're right. The, it's, it's actually, it's, it's not outside in. It's sort of inside out. It's the way that it's, you know, yeah. um, supporting it. So, um, but it's hard, right? Because what do we spend most of our time doing mm-hmm. is working on the inside with the hood open, and right. so it's and so you just get and so you just get used to it. And if you look at and and really, if you can carry the car analogy forward, you look at the vehicles that a you know that you know a gearhead is you know or you know car mechanic aficionado, you know they don't necessarily have all the really nice. It, 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 they'll 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 happily drive a halfway deconstructed car with you know. Right, you know, exposed knobs and options that most users would never want or runs need. like a demon, but it looks like a rust bucket. Exactly, you know? yeah. exactly. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I and th- unfortunately, rust buckets don't sell. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's like exactly. Well, maybe in this market, they they will start to. I don't know. Right, and so okay, so here those, these are all the things. You know, that's a little bit about the you know the what and the and the why. Um, I thought it would be fun to talk about the. The uh, that'd be fun to talk about the how. Okay, so when I talk about when I mean the how, I what I mean is okay, we're aware of this problem, we sort of know why it's happening. What do we do about it? How do we go about fixing this problem? Um, and so I was curious, you know, for you, I had some thoughts, but I thought it'd be a fun exercise, uh, you know, to hear, you know, what what you how you have, how you get around this problem for yourself or, you know, with your team. Uh, you know, if you're an engineer, you want to solve this problem for yourself. If you're a manager, you want to help your team avoid this problem as well. Um, yeah. So I had some thoughts, but um, first crack, do you have something in mind? Mm, like how personas. you do this? 
personas, personas is a big tool. Yeah. Okay, so what and it's are, it's hard. It's like a hard gear shift. But I think I think assessing assessing any decision point in light of the defined personas is is actually pretty huge because it gives you that kind of it gives you that kind of philosophical razor to say does this matter to the user if it doesn't the challenge the problem to solve from an engineering standpoint is how you hide it and if it does matter to the user then the challenge is how do i simplify it as much as possible to meet their need right rather than saying oh we have some bits inside and they need to be able to toggle some bits and so for for me personally and at keeping those personas in mind is is and you could say it in different ways that's I, I'm not going to get into all the thing, but but that's that I think to me is is one of the big, um, that's one of the that's one of the biggies. Right. Okay. So when you say personas, are you is this something that you are actually writing down, and you know, is this exist in a document, or is this just a conversation that you have with your team at the outset? Like, what is what does so that depends on look like to you? That depends on the scope and scale of the project. Um, okay. you know, and in, in like a, in like a workplace setting where, you know, a project is many months of work. Yeah. Those are probably written down. Okay. And um, is, like, what does it, what does it look like? like how, what like, do you actually put into it? Like I, you know, practically speaking, you know, walk me through the, walk me through the steps that you would go through and like, what would this document contain sections of it? Yeah. So when I've done them and I, I don't, I'll admit, I probably could use them more. Um, but we have, uh, you know, my, Right now, my business partners are are strong enough in the domain where they're able to pretty succinctly tell us exactly what it needs to look like. It makes sense, and then we go build it. It's not, you know, um, but for me, where I've seen personas work really well in the past, it's usually um, it's like two paragraphs, if that. Mm-hmm. And you come up with a bunch of nonsense, right? You give them a name, and yet they have a cat, and they live in Ohio, and they drive a Taurus and, you know, you, you make up a bunch of stuff. It's, it's mostly fluff, but it, it gets a creative exercise going. And it also, it also lets you think about the person in full color mm-hmm. and in, in 3d. So then you get into what are they trying to do, right? This is their job title. This is what they want out of the system. And, and then you can even give them personality qualifiers. If you, if you want to go extra with it, um, you can say, oh, and they're really impatient or they really like, art or you know whatever the things are right? right you can you can start to ascribe some some personality traits and preferences to them um and it's not it's, it's not perfect like no tool is perfect but it helps you think about the user with empathy and in like i said in 3d in full color and i i find that pulls you out of the nuts and bolts a little more to think clearly about how you're presenting to the user and what they're going to think of it. Um, Cause if you just say, Oh, the user's got to be able to turn it on and off and switch a to B that doesn't help you prevent the, the two toggles, right? Mm-hmm. This way it's like, no, because there are four States, right? That's it's two bits. That's four States. Mm-hmm. A user doesn't get off and either combination of a or B or they're meaningless that you don't need, they didn't even see that mm-hmm. on a or B, right? So you're collapsing oftentimes states down into simplified versions of the world. Um, and I, and again, I think it's about like empathy. Um, I think, I think that persona, when you start giving him the, giving them that color, it helps pull you back to reality. Now when I'm like, I get a side project that I work on. Um, I don't have the personas written out, but I have people in mind. Right. So I think, okay, if this person is doing this, is performing this role, 
what are they going to care about? What's going to annoy them? What's going to get in their way? What do they actually need to spend their time doing? Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of that, but it's it's like a side project, so it doesn't really matter. Nobody's depending on it. Right. Um, so I don't have them written down or anything. Gotcha. Okay, so one thing you didn't mention with the personas that I thought you were going to was the the fact that this becomes an externality that you can point to an objective externality. So oh, you can blame them. Absolutely. So you can blame yeah. them. Exactly. And so when you're in a conversation, if you are a, if you're a team member that uh, you th- and, and the team or the manager is, is dictating that you go in a certain direction and you think that that's a bad call. You can say, oh, Susie Sutton's going to get impatient with this because it doesn't meet this need. And that's what we agreed. You know, it's a it's a contract that you can point to rather than. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a straw man that you can stand up and knock down without having to go toe to toe directly with the um, with the ego of your of your manager. And you can so you can say not not you manager are wrong, but this is not in line with the persona. And here's how it different. This is how it, it, it is. It is off. And, and so let's have a conversation about how, you know, if you think it does fit, then let's talk about how it does fit. And, it, mm-hmm. and so now you're having, you, you've got this proxy so that nobody's um, personal um, uh, feelings or interests helps, are actually It helps being, get ego out of the line, out of the way. It gets ego out of the way. Yeah. It gets individuals out of the way. And so uh, as a, you know, as, as an engineer, you can do this. This is this is a real easy way for you to actually facilitate having these conversations because you can set up these personas or promote doing so, or even do it yourself and then sort of present it to the manager, even if management never has a hand in it. But then if they argue with it later, you can go back and you can point to the, to your, to your personas. So yeah, that's, that's a good point. I was focused more on, on drawing out the empathy, but you're right. It also squelches ego too. mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so it keeps, that's a good point because I mean, there is nothing worse than, you know, somebody who's got, you know, who's got it, you know, really got the bit in their teeth for some particular thing, for some yeah. cockamimi reason, and it's just not going to fit. You know, sacred cows are, I hate sacred cows. Sacred cows yeah. suck. And this is a great way to counteract some of that. If you can, if you can point to this, uh, to this externality. And personas have been around for like a hajillion years. You know, it's oh, well yeah. popular. There's different framework, you know, and that's not that's not anything new or rev- revelatory. But I think I think getting at the problem of how do you get people focused on what the you and and hmm. do we want to go into UI versus UX, right? Because that's I, I really what you're we, talking we about here. I mean, I figured right? we would. At so some point, yeah. so giving the user an option to control the nuts and bolts inside is is a UI question. Mm-hmm. Right? What that looks like is UX. And I think a lot of times developers, they, they develop the UI. They don't think about the UX. Mm-hmm. And that's where, um, and I think that's another way of, of getting it why that goes sideways and just recognizing that that's, that can be the case. So, so it's like, oh, we're going to have, and, and with the team say, okay, this is not a UI exercise, it's a UX exercise. Right. We're going to look at the personas if we have them. We're going to look at the business requirements if we have them. We're going to look at look at everything and we're going to try to figure out what the simplest and that's really what is key is keeping simplicity in mind always, all the time, everywhere. Mm-hmm. So with simplicity in mind, what does this user experience look like? Like what's the critical path? What's the workflow for them? What do they care about? And then we can go and we can design a UI that meets that UX, but separating those two apart and or doing UX <laughs> design at all. Um, I think, I the, think, I think the UX, 
it's it's almost like the acronyms are backwards. The you do UX, yeah. which then informs yeah. uh, informs the UI. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the case of my double check boxes, uh, my the the story I explained to my team was okay. We have our end user. The end user is making the decision, not the admin. So our configuration options living in the admin panel that doesn't make sense. We have to expose it to the users. Then the next yeah. step of that user experience conversation was okay. This user is making one decision. There are three possible choices, but it's one decision that they're making off option A, option B. It's, you know, for this widget, you know, so there's, it's just a singular decision, but with two checkboxes, they're making two decisions. So we need to combine them because that's what a user is doing. A user is not making this multi-stage, multi-tiered decision-making process. They're looking at it you know, one way, one, one time, mm-hmm. yeah. um, more one dimensionally. Yeah. More one, yeah. One dimensionally. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the UX is about how they, you know, how they feel and, you know, the, the, the thought, the thought process. And then, you know, like you said, the UI follows that. Um, my, my advice for people who are trying to get better at this is that when, um, when you start, when you have something that has a user front end, getting it in front of users as early and often as possible. And they don't even mm-hmm. have to, it almost, it almost doesn't matter, especially, especially early in a project. And when you're, when you're really uh, early in learning this skill set, it doesn't matter how close or how accurate your user air quotes here user is to the actual the people who will actually use your product. It's about putting it in front of somebody who's not you one and ideally not an engineer two. you know, just somebody yeah. who's business, who, who's on the business side of the, if you're talking to somebody internally, like an employee, go talk to somebody in marketing, go talk to somebody in HR and just put it in yeah. front of them and say, Hey, I know you're not, you, you'll never use this, but here's the flow. Here's kind of what's happening. Here's how I've kind of got it designed. What do you think of, you know, does this make sense to you? And tell me how depending it on your sense. Depending on your target audience, it's almost better if they, it's almost better if they don't even know the domain. That's not always, yes. that's not yes. always a reasonable ask, right? Because no. there are, there are systems with interfaces. And if you don't understand the domain, it, it doesn't matter. Finance. Your is feedback is, is just Finance useless. Is like you just don't even know what you're looking at. So there's gotta yeah. be some level of awareness of the domain, but it's better if they're not like, super domain savvy because then they understand enough to say like oh wait why is that here oh wait why is that there right those Mm -hmm. are the questions you want right exactly and so you know putting it in front of those those folks and just going through the exercise um you get better at soliciting feedback and over time this is not a thing that you're going to learn overnight this is a build you you build a compendium of knowledge and 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 experiences that culminate in a wisdom around this stuff. So the more you do it, the more you you start to internalize and truly understand at a, at a, at a, at an instinctive level, what's going to work and what's going to not work. But there is no shortcut. You know, this is not something that uh, you can read a book and just walk away from. This is not something you can, there, there is no, um, there's no Udemy course. There is no LinkedIn learning course that is going to, <laughs> yeah. that is going to short circuit this one for you. Um, or YouTube videos. You, you have to, this is just a practice. This becomes an exercise. 
and it becomes a muscle. And like any muscle, you work it. The more you work it, the stronger it gets over time. And there is there is no shortcut and there is no replacement for that time and effort. And so if you want to get better at this, and I would I would encourage all engineers to get better at this because this is what separates good engineers from great engineers because anyone, any engineer can write code. The engineers who actually fundamentally understand how their code is going to connect to the end user, especially if it's a non-technical audience, they're going to write better code. They're going to build better systems, full stop. Well, and like that gets, that gets, I think, ultimately to the real, like personas are a proxy and all these other things are proxies. The ultimate truth there is that you got to understand the domain, right? We Like how many times have you and I said, oh, you know, developers, like we do two things well, we write code and we learn new domains, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the, the, right? But understanding the domain, truly understanding the domain is worth a hell of a lot more than a couple of Word docs with personas written out. For because sure. if you really understand the do- now you can take in a spec and you can write software that meets the spec and uh but I think the degree of distance you have from the domain will translate directly into higher costs and higher risks for the project because you're going to have to you're going to have to produce and consume more documentation. You're going to have to ha- spend more time in meetings. There's a higher chance you're going to miss something up like just across the board um I, and I think this is this is where I think a lot of us struggle. And, I, and, and I'm not uh, free of guilt on this one. It's hard sometimes to really care enough about the domain to try to go deep on it, right? Because there's so much unknown and you have, maybe you're starting from scratch, you know nothing. To even get over the hump of like wanting to get into it, it's so unknowable and vast. Mm-hmm. Like the more you exercise that, I, I mean, it's a it's a compounding advantage. And then you get to add, like, let's say it's time for it. Uh, you know, let's say you got to go look for a new job. Now you have doors open within that industry as an expert developer that are going to increase your value on the market. I mean, there's like, it just makes you more effective in every conceivable way. And by the way, like at a certain point in your career, just writing the code only keeps you so interested. You actually do start to want to learn other mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. This is the outlet. This is the thing. Um, this is like the primary one. You can go in other directions too, where you 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 oh, learn sure. the um, you learn the marketing and sales side of the of the yeah. equation. Uh, the finance, the, the finance legal, side. the operations. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all different stuff. Um, but, but yeah, this that, one has a really... direct impact. I think a, a much more immediate direct impact on yeah. on how you. And I will say, career. from personal experience, uh, if you're in a position where you, you like, how do I fast track all of this like user centric stuff? Go work. Uh, go work at an interactive design and development studio. Ooh. There are a hundred of them, right? They're, they're oftentimes they're small shops. It's like ten or twenty people, um, or you know, say less than fifty. These interactive firms, I I spent a couple of years at one very early in my career, um, and I was the only nerd in a room full of artists, and it was ridiculous for the first few months, right? <laughs> um, but working side by side with like like seasoned artists in their craft, quickly you gained a competency in their language. You started to understand how they thought about things. Uh, and now to this day, you don't want me in Photoshop creating something new, but like if I was delivered like a pixel perfect layered PSD, I could build a site 
honoring that pixel perfect design the way it was intended because I have that language, because I built that skill set. That that has stayed with me. That has stayed with me in my career and it's paid dividends. Um mm-hmm. and there and if you if you go look, it's not the sexiest work. A lot of it's like building cruds and stuff like that. And then the other part of it, like 80% of it's building boring website frames and cruds and reusable components. Sure, the yeah. other 80% is figuring out how to meet these crazy, unreasonable demands that they place on you. Uh, so I give you, for instance, and this is like, uh, this has got to be 15 years ago uh, when like iOS was newer and uh, you couldn't, Flash was still everywhere mm-hmm. and the advertising industry was using Flash every all the time everything was a switch everything was uh everything was action script but you couldn't do it on the iphone and we had a client wanted uh at the end of the ad it was like a a a landscape horizontal ad at the end of the ad they wanted confetti cannons and they Mm. just they had nobody that could figure out how to do this and so they needed an action script developer to they, they knew that much um and so i and it took me a couple of days i hadn't done action script uh before uh, it took me a couple of days and I had uh, individual pieces of confetti. I treated them all as individual particles and they traveled according to like the laws of physics and they randomly rotated around all three axes and oh, they geez. traveled on an arc. And so they had initial values for like ang- different angle or, or, uh, velocity, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it looked really good and the client was ecstatic and my boss loved the hell out of it. Um, now the the two or three days while I was doing it, I looked like a crazy professor. I had these equations all over my desk, and people didn't want to go near me, which was a benefit. Um, but like it was really funny, and you wind up solving a lot of problems. Like that designer dreams something up, and it's so fun to try to build it because you have <laughs> to know the technology. You got to know what's possible in the medium, and and if they're any good, they're going to try to they're going to be trying to push that medium. That those present such fun challenges to build that it makes like the boring half of the work uh, go down a lot easier. That would be my, and I'm biased because I did it and I loved it. Um, but that would be another thing. If you're, if you're looking for a job change, work for an interactive agency, they're everywhere. And then they can be really fun to, um, they can be really fun and, and enlightening to, to work with. I, I, I know the firm that you're talking about, of course, and they are, they're, they're, they're a great group of uh, great group of folks over there. If I got fired tomorrow, I'd go see if they had an internship. I would totally do that. (laughs) You know, I I was, okay. So I, I I will piggyback on that. If I, if I got fired tomorrow, I might reach out to one of my first jobs, which was not a design firm, but is I'm going to make a similar recommendation uh, for people who are trying to get better at this. Uh, And that is to go to a place where there aren't a bunch of layers between you and the end actual end customer. The only way you can do that, is to go to places that are smaller. And so mm-hmm. that immediately throws out the fangs. And I love coming up with reasons to tell people not to work for fangs. Don't, don't work for a fang. Oh um, my goodness. Here's, here's reason 4,572 why you shouldn't work for a fang. If you go to work for a smaller company, for me, it was a nonprofit. It was an education nonprofit. Uh, and because they're a nonprofit, I don't mind talking about them on the air here. I worked for a company called Destination Imagination. They did, um, they were an education-based company. Their their theory was that creativity was actually a skill that you can learn. And they had- I pro- agree with this. I agree with it too. I have seen it in practice. We did it every day. Um, and they had a program for students it was a it was a competitive program for kids uh, K through twelve 
that uh, they could do through the course of the year that um, focused on creative problem solving skills and building creative problem solving skills. It was really, really good. They're still around. Um, your school might even have a program with them. I would definitely encourage you to check it out uh, if you have it. Uh, I was their director of IT. I was also the office network manager. I was also the first line customer support. I Head was of support services. I was the yeah. second line uh, customer support rep. I was the third line customer support rep. I was the customer support manager. Uh, I was the web developer. I I wore yeah. I was the only technical person in the building. Sysadmin. Yeah. Sysadmin. So did you, now you were, I you were developer support and also sysadmin. So did, were you excessively salty to yourself? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so one of the, th <laughs> so I learned so much at that job. One of the most important skills I learned was actually patience and handling my frustration level because mm, I wore yeah. all those hats and holy crap, my patients were tried mm -hmm. sometimes and I had to learn to let go. And I had to learn to understand that there are things outside your control and all you can do in those situations is be a mirror to the decision makers around you to say, this is the situation we are dealing with. There is no solution for me. Like I can't wave a wand. So how do you want to handle it? I tried for a long time to wave the wand that didn't exist. Once I learned that the wand didn't yeah. exist, it became a lot easier. So that was a big lesson I learned, but that's not my point here. My point here is that I built our, um, I built our e-com platform as a site called shop DI. Um, I'm, I pray that they're using something newer since then, but uh, <laughs> I built the, I built the e-com site soup to nuts and I attached our, our membership subscription service to it. And so I, I ran the thing. I built the thing. I ran the thing, hosted the thing. And so when people had problems, they came right to me. People would call yeah. on the phone, a secretary would answer it, and it went right to me. And so I got a ton, especially if something broke or if I if I did a new release and something wasn't quite right or it was different, I got all those phone calls immediately. I have to hear about it eight times, Bob. <laughs> I did. Yes. I would hear about it eight, yeah. 10, 12, 20 times. Because that's and oh by the gosh. way, that's the secret. That the 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 small businessman, the entrepreneur, um, the the solopreneur, like this people think Oh, well, you own the business, whether it's an N of one, you know, employees right, or not. Right, right, right. You own the business. Oh, you don't have any bosses. No, I've Bulls got like 11 D now. Uh -huh. That's because every customer is a boss and you are the worst boss you will ever work for in your entire life. I promise you. And Amen. it is miserable. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> that's well, rough. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough gig, but, um, Bosses yeah. up to my armpits. Everyone, yeah, everyone has a boss. If you still think that's not the case, everybody has has a boss. Um, so uh, that immediacy was very helpful because in handling those emails, in handling those phone calls, in answering their questions or asking them follow up questions. Okay, what did you do to actually end up there? I've never seen that before. Um, you end up, you build this this compendium of, of experience, of knowledge and experience that can, that helps, you know, when you said it, you said it before with like, with like layers and hops between you and the end user, you build the thing, the user uses it, you get the feedback. That's as exactly. tight a loop Doesn't get without tighter. getting up inside your own head. That's as tight a loop as you can have. What it does though, is it, there's a really strong correlation from cost to effect. You really start to think about how people are going to feel something when you go to make a change. Yep. Um, and that's 
I mean, back to the intro, right? That's it's the empathy. It's putting yourself in their shoes. It's and when you're the one's phone that's going to ring when the thing breaks, it's like you can't you can't even pretend to avoid it or be disconnected from it at yeah. all. Yeah, you you can't you can't help it. Um, and that's why I'm a big proponent of companies that are larger uh, giving their engineers uh, a quarterly, some routine level of rotation inside of customer support. I'm actually, mm. a, I am big in favor of that. I know engineers hate it and I understand why they hate it. And that's exactly why they need to do that's it. That's exactly why you like it. Yeah. You need that proximity. And yes, it is hard. And yes, it is uncomfortable. And yes, you're not coding, you're doing support. But this is part of the game, man. And these support calls, the, the, um, the realization, people who do it long enough, uh, you know, realize, oh, they have these support calls because of what I did or didn't do. So if I do a better yeah. job, then the support calls go down, which makes me well, more and now in, I mean, like it just, it's I very, mean, I, very, you know, in the last, in the last week or two, uh, in my position now, I've had to make a, a, a couple of calls on things because, you know, nothing ever works the way it should. Right. Um, no, of course not. And, and part of the conversation has been okay when you're when you're evaluating how to respond, right? You've got an incident mm -hmm. and some some something broken, right? Mm -hmm. How do you respond to this? What are the steps that you take? Okay, well you think about it. I always think in my mind forks. I go short term, long term, right? What can I do right now to ease the pressure? And then what is the actual long term fix that I don't have to deal with this again? And immediately my brain goes in 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 those two directions at once, and. When you're considering what that short term, what the what the bandaid is, what the long term is, like part of that calculus, I just had a conversation the other day. It's like, okay, we have to do it this way. It takes more of our time up front. It takes longer for us to get to the short term solution. Doesn't help us towards the long term solution. Whereas the other option, like it's quicker to get the short term fix and it builds toward the long term. You would think that's optimal. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go this other way because. Once we get that short-term fix in, it's going to reduce user pain. It's going to reduce the volume that our that our customer service has to deal with. That has a lot of business value. We mm. don't get with this other option, or we get less of it with this other option, even though it seems more optimal. It's like, well, no, your your equation isn't long enough. You don't have enough terms in your equation right. to really deal with optimality. And that's, I think, when you start building that muscle with the, with the UX piece of it, when you start building that empathy – it's adding a term to the equation. And I think, you know, it's not like a well-rounded thing. It's like a, no, that's part of the job thing, you know? And if right. you're not operating with that term, your answers are not going to be fully correct. Is that know, a term? Is that optimality? Is that actually a word? Did you I, just make that up? Maybe I invented I, you it. You might have. I don't know if you if you did or not. I'm not a walking dictionary. But that's it was it. smooth though. If it, it is a word, did, it was very really smooth, well. and yeah. you just ruined it for me. <laughs> yes, it is uh, the property of being optimal. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so hey, uh, suck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. Fine. I'll take it. <laughs> Jeez, oh man, you, you jerk. <laughs> You're the one that ruined my Friday afternoon. I don't want to hear this. Goodness. <laughs> Making me think about this. Well, it's just so stinking important, you know? Like there's yeah. there's there's no way yeah. around it. And uh it's a um you know, when I when uh when I ran into this situation, my immediate thought was, Oh, I know I'm pretty sure a, a lot of the uh the refactored folks out there could could utilize this because they're all 
we're all engineers and we all, we all deal with it. Um, and I have been fortunate enough to have cleared this hurdle a number of times. And so, you know, see if we can't help some others, uh, you know, sort of think about here's, here's a, here's a great, here's another example I thought of, uh, I don't use Gmail a lot, but, but they have like the, uh, the option now you can, you can unsend a message. Yes. They have the undo, right? It's like a, it's so a timer. It's an undo, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but th- there it is though. Okay. The user says, I send an email. No, no, no. Control Z. I want to undo that. I want to unsend it. Right. That's not what's happening. What's happening right. is that when you push send, you're creating a record in a queue and or a timer, whatever the data structure is, right. whatever the algorithms are that control it. It's not actually sent. It delays the sending. And when you undo, you're just popping it off of that queue or removing it from that data structure. Right. I, I, an engineer did not design that interface. True. Right. True. Or, or an engineer with great UX experience did. Right. 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 And that's exactly. hiding the complexity. It's it's not unsending it. The word it's literally lying to you. Like yeah. it is actually not telling you the truth because it's not unsending the message. It's canceling a delayed send. But that's not what the button says. Right. That's that's a that's a great example. And you know your your average user, below average user. Or uh, uh, admin uh, engineer would uh, I'll get to the right role eventually. The your your <laughs> below average engineer would look at something like that. Okay, we want to do a pause so that you know they have yeah. a chance to. So now it. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you a list of things with the time they're going to send and the you time like you sent it, and then you're going to be able to cancel it. And it's exactly, all this you're going to see this big no. countdown cue, or you're no. going to hit the send button. Now you got to sit and wait. And like, nope, I just know. see, I just see a, a nice, a nice blue paint job with a clear coat. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> that's to, exactly to go back it. to your analogy. That's perfect. No, I yeah. think, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good example. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a big space. And I thought, yeah, we have some fun with UI UX on a, on a, on a Friday afternoon. I, I honestly, I find those conversations easier to have. I'm, I'm, I find those less, less painful. You know, to actually, and we scratched the surface, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. It was, oh, yeah. Like, if we wanted to de- dive deeper, where would you go next in that uh, topic? There's, what do you there's think? a lot of, I, I mean, you got to, mm, I don't even know, right? I mean, information <laughs> architecture is probably the first place I go. Like, oh. how you think about constructing the the language of the domain that you're presenting yeah. to the user. Like, yeah. there's, uh, it's, it gets. You could, you, yeah. uh, how this stuff, how, how it actually, um, we talked about it going from uh, the one direction, you know, from the inside out, but outside in. So like these two checkboxes we talked about, well, yeah. I could, uh, if, it, if it were me building it today, I wouldn't make it two Boolean files. I would make it a single enum, you know, make it an enumerable. Right. And it would be three options inside the enumerable. Because you're going to, it's got to be something that's sensible because you're going to add more than A and B at some point. You're going to add more than A and B at some point. Exactly. And yeah. it, it, it does actually maintain some parity between what the user sees and versus what the, um, yeah. what the admin sees. Well, and we've, and we talked about this before. We had this pithy little thing where like, oh, there's the MVC framework, right? Model view controller. And we realized there was value. Not, it's not a dogmatic implementation, but we realized there was this cute thing you could do where if you, if you build systems in that order, Mm-hmm. You wind up with it with a decent outcome. So MVC model view controller. Think about your data structure. Think about what inputs and outputs are. Think about the shape and, and size of your data. Then think about the view. What is the UX? What are you presenting with the user? Um, and then the controller being all of the business logic under the ice under the surface of the you know the water for the iceberg. Mm-hmm. 
it's not MVC, like it's just, but it's it's a it's a neat right. way to think about how to make sure that you don't make these mistakes, right? Because your data model, any any system's going to depend on data, and then the view comes next. Think about, and that right. doesn't mean build the UI, but it does mean solve for your UX, mm-hmm. and then you build your business logic after you know what your data is and what your interface has to look like, because those are the two anchors. Right. right, those are your anchors to reality. There's the reality that your users interact with, and there's the reality of what bits you store on the disk. All of the logic is just to glue those two things together, mm-hmm. like across the board. Pure, like the logic is just gluing together your data with your views. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had that cute little oh MVC is uh, the order is our our development order or something. You know, I forget what we said. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, MVC uh, is the development order. And what I yeah. the other thing that if you if you do truly do that, what I one of the interesting things that you will happen is how often when you go to that view step and you start working on your view, you realize, Oh, I'm going to go, go back, back and, and change your model changes model mm-hmm. to the model yeah. based on my view stuff. It's, it, and but, if you started writing business logic already, now you've got extra work to uh-huh, redo, to, to rewind, yeah. to rewind it out or to change it. Yeah. And God forbid you actually have stuff in production. Cause now you got to actually do migrations and updates. And can data. you imagine, can you imagine as a developer being handled like, being handed, pardon me. I'm going to say finalized. We both know that word doesn't actually exist, but being handed a final data model and UI mockups and saying, okay, now build this system. Can you imagine how freaking awesome that would oh, be? Man. Yeah. Like how oh, tremendously gosh. easy your job just became if you're handed <laughs> that and said, okay, now you write this software that does, that has these attributes. Mm-hmm. My goodness. We, I think we try and do that a lot of times with project you know, with project planning and, and lead in, but it, it's just the, yeah, you said that it yourself. It's, that, happens that it's that definition of finalized. You're always yeah. getting new information and yeah. change is inevitable. And oftentimes change in the middle of the project is often mm-hmm. inevitable. So you're, yeah. you're never going to get away from it. But like even some new requirement comes down in the middle of development. Okay, well, that's great. Let's go see how it affects the model, see how it affects the views and see how it affects the logic kind of in that order. Um, it's mm. it's 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 a, a fractal, you know. It, it can be serve as a micro framework to think about changes. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it, what, it's kind of what makes me think about that. It's <laughs> got to go before all of the logic. You got to think. It's got to be built in. UX is like security. You build it into your product design. Mm-hmm. It's not a bolt on. Yeah, and and correct. And and good engineers value it appropriately. And if you don't value yeah. it yet, that's that's okay. Which is a little on the nose because I know you're building like a security product and you're <laughs> talking about the UX. So that's a little self-serving there. But you know, it's it's stuff you got to build it in just like you your business right. model. You build that into the product design. It's not mm-hmm. something you just tack on afterwards. Yeah. But anyway. I mean, even if it wasn't security, I, I, I think that it is value. It, it is the quintessential thing that it makes your product successful. And so it, no matter how big or small or what your audience or vertical is, yeah. it, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's really it. Like you, you really need to know that piece because otherwise you're just, you know, a code monkey, just, you know, crunching yeah. away on whatever gets thrown in front of you, which is, I mean, that's a role. Okay. But that's, that is not where the, that's not where the true ladder climbing Big time success comes from the big time success it, comes from the 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 view being able to see. Well, even if you just want you don't you don't want all that. You just you just want uh you just want fulfillment in your work. <laughs> yeah, and and I respect guess you could, and yeah, and professional yeah. respect. You know, because you know guys that are just crazy domain experts and right. they're on the keyboard. Um, 
they're happy. They're loving it. They're providing yeah. business value, supporting their lifestyle. Like, what's there's nothing wrong with that? Right. Yeah. So, wait a minute. So, are you disagreeing with me, or are you agreeing with me about the 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 how it's? No, no. I I picked up on you. You may have uh you, you may have mischaracterized how you were saying something. I oh, picked maybe up I on, did. on that. Just maybe to I clarify. Did. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, no I I'm, I'm glad no. you did that. All right. No. Let's. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, why don't we yeah, get this? Fine. Why don't we get this thing done? Yeah, why don't we? Uh, oh. Why don't we do this? Um, so if you, wait, it's your in, it, no, it's it, your outro. Is it my? Right? It's yeah. me? You? Him, it you? Him, me? Him, me? Him, me? You? Him, you? Me? Him? All right, it's me. All right. Well, <laughs> if you enjoy banter and outros, let us know. <laughs> Feedback at refactor.org is where you can reach out to us. Uh, send us a note. Send us an audio clip. We'd love to hear from you. You can find show notes and uh, you can listen to whole episodes. You can see the back um, the back catalog of episodes, all of that stuff ever at our website, refactor.work is where you will find that. Uh, if you want to hear more from Chris, you can check him out at tonkinson.com. If you want to check out my stuff, it's hotcoals, K-O-E-H-L-S.com. And this has been episode 71 because it's my outro. <laughs> of the refactor podcast <laughs> recorded on the knife recorded on a nice and easy lazy ui ux friday afternoon june 17th 2022 thanks for hanging out with me at the uh you know at the water cooler today chris see you frank see you